A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 was one of the earliest horror films I remember seeing as a kid. The film itself didn't scare me as such, but the face of the franchise quite literally used to haunt my nightmares. With his burnt skin, an ugly Christmas jumper, and his signature finger knives, Freddy Krueger often appeared in my dreams. However, that didn't stop me from falling in love with the franchise. Like most other horror fans, I adore Freddy and the Elm Street movies. So let's talk about the man of our dreams and the first nightmare on Elm Street. Hi guys, welcome to the third episode of Slashic Horror. I'm your host, Leroy Cross James, and um, I hope you've all had a good week and that you're in the mood for the holiday season and you're all ready. I was in the mood for the holiday season until we got these Christmas lights that were made from copper wire. Um, and as you can imagine, they were a bastard to untangle. Like, seriously, I was on the floor, virgin on tears. Like, it was horrendous. Christmas was nearly cancelled. But needless to say, we sorted it out, and the house is all decorated. We're all ready to go for Christmas. And, well, actually, no, 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 no. I need to buy buy some gifts. Like, that's, yeah. But I've still got time, so I think, I think we're fine. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. Now, originally, I was going to do the whole series, um, the whole franchise on this episode. However, when I was getting my notes together, I realised that we'd be here until next Christmas on part one alone. So I've even had to cut this episode down quite a bit because there was just so much to talk about. Um, So I will cover the others later down the line. But yeah, for today, we're going to focus on part one. And there's a couple of of things I want to talk about with it. So yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be awesome. And um, I'm ready for Freddy, as always. And it reminds me, actually, speaking of Christmas, I need to get my own ugly Christmas jumper sorted. Uh, I actually wanted a Nightmare on Elm Street one, but I couldn't find one this this uh, this year. So I spotted one with Jaws on it, which I think is pretty cool. So I think I'm going to go for that one. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love an ugly Christmas sweater anyway? So the first movie of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was actually the second film that I saw. Um, and obviously with part three i kind of got the gist of what part one was about but it wasn't long after that i watched part one and i i find that part one compared to part three is is a lot scarier definitely for sure like part three didn't really phase me but part one there's some scenes in it that still to this day when i watch it i it chills me or it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable but i'll get into that so obviously in part one we're introduced to the amazing nancy thompson and her boyfriend glenn Rod, and Nancy's best friend, Tina. Four teenagers who share this collective nightmare about a burnt man in a hat with a red and green sweater and a glove that has finger knives attached to it. So, Nancy and Tina are unsure why they have this dream about the same person and 
Tina doesn't want to sleep alone. She invites her friends over one night and her boyfriend Rod comes over as well later on. And that night, Tina has a nightmare about a man who chases her in a dark alleyway with his arms extended out. So, okay, I'm going to add here that, to me, this um, this is the official introduction of Freddy. I mean, we see him briefly in the beginning when the with the credits when it's Tina's first nightmare introducing the film, but it's actually quite creepy. Um, most people find the scene quite funny, especially when he starts running after Tina with his with these really long arms. But if someone with elongated arms and a glove with a load of fucking knives on it was chasing me, I think I'd shit myself. But during this um, nightmare that Tina has, Rod wakes up and because Tina's screaming, and the next thing he knows, her stomach is ripped open four ways, and then she's flung around the room by something invisible that Rod can't can't see, and smear it smears blood. She smears blood all over the place as she tries to like move around the room, and she finally drops down from the ceiling, and then she dies. And in the sequence as well, this. The, the way they made it was in a rotating room and it took them like a month to build this room and everything was glued down or nailed down. Um, Amanda Weiss um, and Nick Corey, they had to use harnesses for certain scenes. But um, I saw something actually where Amanda Weiss said that like it, the the way the room was, it really freaked her out and Wes Craven had to like say to, like say to her they're like I'm standing here with you you're not upside down you're fine and with Nick Corey when he was in the harness obviously um you know it had to be the illusion that he was on the ground when he was actually on top while Amanda was on the bottom and they had to like lacquer his hair down so it didn't flop everywhere and yeah I imagine that was really uncomfortable so you know hats off to them like to make that scene must have been so difficult I actually want to talk about Tina for a little bit because what I love about the first film is it, it's this impression we're given that Tina's the one we should be focusing on. Like you, you'd think to yourself if you were watching this for the first time that Tina's going to be the final girl in those first twenty minutes. It's almost like what Hitchcock did with Janet Leigh um, in Psycho by killing Marion Crane off in the first thirty minutes or so of the film. And if you haven't seen Psycho, I've just spoiled it for you, and I'm really sorry. I don't know if Wes Craven was following Hitchcock's formula with that, like by having us focus on Tina, because what like the difference with with obviously Hitchcock's Psycho is that we know so much about Marion, but with Tina we don't know a lot. We know that her home life is a little bit unbalanced. Like her mum's mum and dad aren't together, and she has a boyfriend. And to be honest, her mum seems a little bit scary. (laughs) So we know that about her. But if if you were watching this again for the first time, you would probably think that Nancy, because the way Nancy's introduced is actually pretty weak, I think. You'd think that Nancy was the best friend that's going to get killed before the credits roll, for sure. And it's only later on when we're introduced to Marge and Donald that we know a bit more about Nancy and we get this impression of her home life. So I feel like if if they were to continue the film where Tina was the final girl and... Nancy Nancy was the best friend that gets killed. It'd probably be a similar setup because it seems like Tina and Nancy have similar sort of home lives. Like their parents are I mean, I'm assuming Donald and Marge aren't together, but it's never actually said, but um, you know, Donald's never home and it seems like they have a very strained relationship, so yeah, that's the impression that I get anyway. But then again, we wouldn't have the same movie had it been Tina who 
was the one who we followed all the way through. So I guess they they chose they chose rightly. I mean, I love Nancy, so I'm glad that they did. So after Tina's killed, we shift our focus onto Nancy. And for some reason, Nancy decides the next day to go to school, you know, the day after your best friend's been slaughtered and, you know, thrown around the room, but each to their own. It's probably so she doesn't fall asleep. Like, I imagine that she, you know, if she was at home, she'd just want to be in bed and, you know, wallow in, in her grief. But, yeah, she does it so that she can she can stay awake, I imagine. But, of course, she's knackered and she does fall asleep while she's in class. And while this dude gives this monologue that turns really creepy, and this is one of those scenes I was talking about that makes me feel really uncomfortable in the first film... So, yeah, this dude's giving the monologue, the music score kicks in, Nancy's eyes are shut, and then she just hears, Nancy. When she opens her eyes, she looks over, and Tina's in a clear body bag full of blood, reaching out in the body bag to Nancy. This scene gives me chills, even to this day. It's just, I don't know what it is. It just makes me feel so uncomfortable. Um, like As I say, I don't really get scared by anything, but I think it's because, I don't know whether it's, I think it's because it's It's just so, it, it is really eerie. And it's like, it's something I could imagine having a nightmare about myself, like this sort of thing. And yeah, it's just, it's so disturbing. So Nancy follows what is essentially Tina's corpse which is being dragged around the corridors of her school and then she bumps into that girl who's wearing Freddie's signature jumper which is really weird and just random it just comes out of nowhere and she's you know she says where's your pass and then Nancy says the iconic line screw your pass so Nancy follows the trail of blood that's on the floor that looks just like black tar. It doesn't even look like blood. Uh, down to the boiler room in the basement of the school. And this is the first time as as an audience we see her come face to face with Freddy. And Freddy comes after her and showing her smarts quite early on. Nancy decides to self-harm by burning herself on a really hot pipe. And she wakes up in the classroom screaming her head off. And then she finally decides to go home. Girl, you should have just stayed home in the first place. Like, But she's no safer there because she stupidly, for some stupid reason, she decides to take a bath even though she's absolutely knackered. And even though her mum, Marge, warns her, you know, not to fall asleep in the bath. That's how people die every year. And, you know, it's just like that typical mother-daughter scene, which I love, where she, Nancy's just like, oh, for Pete's sake. Like, getting, you know, I'm sure everyone's mum says things like that, and you're just like, yeah, whatever, mum, okay. We also get that iconic image here as well, where Freddy's glove comes between Nancy's legs in the bathtub, which is pretty cool. Like, it's, it's one of the, my favourite shots in the entire film. I just think it's so cool. But... Nancy doesn't listen to Marge's advice and she falls asleep and next thing you know she's underneath the water in the bath and it's like this massive tank that she's in and but it makes her come to her senses and makes her wake up and Marge batters down the door trying to get in and Nancy manages to get out in time thank god 
But then she decides to take a load of stay awake pills or caffeine pills, whatever the hell they are. Jessie Spano from Saved by the Bell would be so disappointed. And she goes to bed. She watches The Evil Dead and she's you know, falling asleep watching The Evil Dead, which the reason that was put in there is because um, Wes Craven and Sam Raimi had this little banter between them. And I thought that was quite a nice touch, actually. It's, it's quite funny that she's fallen asleep to The Evil Dead. Uh, it's definitely not a film I would fall asleep to. But yeah. And yeah, the next thing, Glenn bangs on the window, comes in, and she tells Glenn to watch her while she falls asleep because she wants to go exploring in her dream. And she warns him not to fall asleep. He has to watch her in case anything happens. So she goes to see Rod, where Freddy taunts her. And, you know, it's pretty clear that Rod's next on the list. And then Freddie chases Nancy back to her house. And this is what I love about this scene, because this actually happens to me when I have a nightmare. Uh, Nancy goes up the stairs and her feet get stuck in the stairs and she can't move. This this happens to me so often. I, I always feel like I can't move and my feet are stuck into the ground like it's all sticky whenever I have a really bad nightmare. Obviously, it doesn't happen all the time, but... It's something that happens often, and I don't know whether it's because of this film or if it just it just happens. Because my mum said that that before she even saw this film, that's what happens to her as well when she has a bad dream. So I just found that quite interesting. But yeah, the next thing that happens is Nancy um, has a bit of an altercation with Freddie, and then she wakes up. <laughs> And then she has a go at Glenn because he's fell asleep. Which I feel dead tight on the lad. The lad's pretty knackered too. I mean, at this point, we, you know, Glenn never outrightly says, I know who Freddy is, but it's pretty clear in the beginning when he watches Nancy and Tina talking about sharing the same dream that he he's seen Freddy himself. And, you know, I know he says it's impossible, but yeah, give Glenn a... Give Glenn, I keep calling him Glenn. Glenn. Glenn, Glenn, give Glenn a break, Nancy. So after Tina's death, Rod's in prison because they think that he did it because he was the only one in the room. And Nancy and Glenn go to the police station because they want to check he's okay. And Freddy hangs in with his own bed and Rod dies. And then Marge has basically had enough of all this shit with Nancy and she, she takes her to this dream clinic where they can study her dreams and in this sequence, Nancy has a really bad nightmare. When she wakes up, um, part of her hair's gone grey. And she... <laughs> I don't know why, but I find this scene dead funny. <laughs> she just, like, under the covers, just pulls out Freddie's hat. And then, Nan- and then Marge just literally looks at it. And she just does this re- really dramatic face where she opens her mouth and she just, like, pushes herself back. Can I just actually, I'm going to talk about Marge Thompson here because Marge Thompson is iconic. She is so camp in this film. She's so film noir meets daytime soap. It's, it's, she's, I just love her. Like the clothes that she wears, like this, like the glamour with like, she's got like this sort of like Joan Crawford style hairdo going on as well. And for the first half of the film, up until the dream clinic sequence, Marge just, it, she doesn't look arsed about anything. Like, when she's in the police station with Nancy after Tina's been killed, 
And, you know, Nancy's distraught. She's just, like, sitting there with a cigarette, staring into space. And then when Nancy says, you know, Rod and Tina's fights weren't that serious, Marge is just like, well, maybe you don't think murder is serious. And it's like, did she... I think in this case, like you know when people say, oh, so-and-so understands the assignment, I think Ronnie Blakely was the assignment. She just... In every scene that she's in, it's kind of like she doesn't realise that she's in a horror film. <laughs> I think she thinks that she's in, in like some sort of film, noir film sometimes. But I also love as well, with Marge, the scene um, after after the dream clinic where she's barred up the house and it's all, like, you know, there's bars all up in the windows and such. And then Nancy comes in and she's like, mother, what the fuck? And Marge is just standing there in her dressing gown in the, like, the darkened corridor. And she's like, with a cigarette, follow me down to the basement and we'll talk about it. <laughs> she's like, okay, mom, you okay, hon? She's, um, yeah, she's, I, Marge is quite creepy in herself, I think, too. Like, there's just something creepy about the way that she, she, she is in general. I mean, it's quite sad, though, because I think from the second half where she does show that she's, you know, she's really concerned that, you know, we, we learn that she's an alcoholic and she's, obviously, this is bringing back a lot of memories for Marge. And in some of the deleted scenes as well, there's a lot more, there's a lot more emphasis on this secret that Marge and Donald are keeping from Nancy. Like, you know, it's more than just the, the glances that we see at, like, Rod's funeral scene when she talks about Freddie a little bit. And I can see why they were taken out, but it gives a bit more... It gives a bit more backstory and clarity, I think, on Donald's and Marge's relationship. And probably, as I say, I don't think they are together. It doesn't seem like they are. It would explain a lot, I think. But the one thing I do find confusing about when Marge does put security around the house is that Nancy says to her, like, security, like, for security, security from what? And Marge says, not from what, but from whom? And... In the next scene, she reveals that her and a bunch of parents actually tracked down Freddie because he killed a load of kids and he got off with it and he was set free. And they were the ones who killed Freddie in, in an old boiler room and that she took, took his knives away. But she says to Nancy, like, you know, he's, he's dead, honey, because mommy killed him, which is just, yeah, another iconic line. Absolutely love that line. But... If she is so convinced that Freddie's dead, then why has she barred that like put bars all around the house? It's just something that that doesn't it just doesn't add up totally to me. Like I just feel like she would probably say to Nancy, just to Nancy, like like listen, get a grip. Freddy Krueger's definitely dead. Like I I killed him. Like you know, I don't think she would go to the extreme of putting security bars around the house, but. Obviously, this adds to the, like, what happens next. So I think that's why it was done. But seriously, let's make let's make Marge Thompson head of the PTA. Like this, this is a mum that will she will she gets shit done. You know what I mean? She's honestly, in the extended version as well. She also reveals that Nancy had a brother or sister who Freddie killed, which. It, it gives a, it adds a bit more motive to why Nancy becomes so determined to stop Freddie in the end as well. And 
there's so many deleted scenes for this film and a lot of them yeah okay i can understand why they were taken out but with this one it's literally just another 10 15 minute 15 seconds of this whole cellar scene where marge tells her about what happened to freddie and i think it would have added a little bit more to the story but yeah, I can understand why they didn't. I mean, the the criticism I would probably give it. I mean, I don't know if there was anymore. Is that the you know there's no more clarity after that. She just says, "Oh, you you had a brother and or or sister basically," and so did Rod, Tina, and Glenn. And yeah, there's no there's no more information after that. But again, it's uh, you know it could add more depth to a character, and it could explain why her and Donald aren't together, and why she she probably turns to to drink as as a, you know as a comfort blanket. So after this, Nancy pretends to go to sleep, and she chugs a load of coffee down her, and then gives Glenn a phone call warning him not to go to sleep. But then. Uh, she's just as she's about to leave the house, she gets uh, a phone call. And at first she just hears some noise and then she unplugs the phone and then the phone goes off and then it's just this really dramatic scene where Nancy walks towards the phone and she picks it up, says hello. And then on the other end, Freddie says, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. And then his tongue comes out the phone and licks her mouth and it's uh, it's really disgusting. And um, obviously dead fake, but really disgusting at the same time. And I wouldn't say this goes against the rules of the film because you've got to remember at this point, Nancy is fucking knackered. Like the girl is beyond sleep deprived. So if she is sinking in and out of like this, this, sort of dream state it, it makes sense to be honest i mean it's just it's just an example of let, letting the audience read between the lines i guess without having it being explained to them because there is a deleted scene straight after it where nancy kind of like slaps herself and she says like no i'm, I'm awake i'm not dreaming why I'm, I'm awake so i think they took that out just so like obviously we can see that she's you know she is knackered Something that I won't go too much into this, but with the remake, one thing that I will give it is I liked the the inclusion they had of the they called the micro naps in the film, so where they were in that state of like you know they were awake but they were so tired that they were like drifting in and out of like this this dream state. So after this, Nancy smashes the phone up and then she races downstairs and tries to go out the front door, but Marge has locked the house up. And across the street, poor Glenn has fallen asleep. I know, yeah. I feel dead bad for Glenn because I feel like out of all the characters, he's he was just the most, you know, probably the most naive and most he was the most positive and yeah, it's just it's really sad. But he has this horrific death sequence where he's sucked into his own bed and the track that plays, which is really freaky is actually called Fountain of Blood, and a Fountain of Blood comes out of the bed, and I think they use the same sort of rotating room that they used when Tina was killed, so it when it when it came out, it was just it just went all over the ceiling, and yeah, the we're under the impression we're not given any clarity on what actually happens to Glenn in inside the bed when the blood pops up, but. In a deleted scene, they had Johnny Depp come up like like ri- like a rising corpse, and then he just drops down, 
and there's um, some slash marks on his chest. Now, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the cameras were damaged during this, this scene, so that's why they didn't end up using it. Um, I think the footage was just a bit, bit buggered. But it looks really stupid when you watch the deleted scene as well. But I imagine with mu- the music and all the audio synced in and stuff, I think it would have been pretty cool. But then again, I do like that it's left up to the audience's interpretation of what happened to him. Like, I personally would think that he was just squeezed of all of his blood, like squeezed to death into like a mangled mess. Which, again, for the character is a, is a really horrible death and it's really traumatic, but... While this is happening, the bit that gets me with this and it gives me chills is the way Heather Langenkamp just screams out for Glenn. Like, she, she's, you know, it just sounds so genuine and so desperate, the way she screams in, before it happens. It's, oh, it's, that's horrible. So now more than ever, Nancy's absolutely determined to, to fuck Freddie over and, you know, get him out of her, her dreams once and for all. So Marge is, um, Marge is, absolutely you know she's wasted so nancy puts it to bed and it's it's kind of it's kind of sweet and sad at the same time this sequence because it's again it's like that it's like a reversal of the mother-daughter relationship where it's nancy putting her mum to bed and yeah but after this nancy using her smarts once again which is why i love her as a final girl she goes around the house setting booby traps all over the place ready for when she drags Freddy out of her dream because she's realised if she can take a hat out of the dream, she can bring him out as well. So in her dream, she goes to Freddy's boiler room and, um, you know, shouts out for him and then he chases her and she waits until her alarm goes off. She sets an alarm before she goes to sleep and Freddy is in our world now and all he goes through all these like these traps that nancy set for him and she tries to keep him there so she can get her dad to come over because when she phones her dad before she falls asleep she's like okay so i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring this guy out for my dream so can you just be ready when i do and he's just kind of like yeah all right love whatever but while she's got Freddy trapped in the house, she breaks a window and she shouts out to one of the officers to go and get her dad. And he's, he's just so like, just remain calm, it's fine. And then she's like, no, go and get my dad now. Um, and yeah, you must think like, what the fuck's wrong with this girl? She's so crazy. And uh, yeah, she takes Freddy down to the cellar, sets him on fire, and then Donald breaks in. And they follow this these flames that are going up the stairs. And Freddy's gone after Marge. And again, I think this was in the script. And I could be wrong, but I'm sure it was actually Marge who killed Freddy. I mean, I know they set him on fire, but I'm sure she... I could be wrong. I think she might have shot him when he came running out. I'll, I'll, I haven't fact-checked that, so don't hold me to it. But it would make sense for why he went after Marge. And, um, yeah, so Donald and Nancy throw a blanket over Freddy. And when they pull it up, Freddy's not even there. And it's just Marge who's been burnt to death. And then, which is really weird, this next scene, she just kind of, like, goes down into the mattress and disappears for good. So, RIP to iconic Marge. She's, she's gone. But Nancy asks her dad to just give her a minute, leave her alone. And then Freddy rises up from the mattress and 
he's ready to kill Nancy, but Nancy just says, do you know what? You're nothing, you're not real, you're just a dream. I want my friends back, I want my mum back. Piss off, basically. Uh, in, in, the, in another deleted scene, she actually does say, say fuck off, and it comes across really fucking corny. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, and then Freddy disappears. And then the next scene, it's a lovely, bright, beautiful day with a bit of fog, weirdly enough, which already tells the audience that this ain't, this ain't real. Uh, especially when Marge comes out and she's she's just like, I feel like a million bucks and I don't feel like drinking anymore. It's just something that would happen in a dream. So straight away, you know, this isn't real. Um, Rod, Tina and Glenn are waiting for her in the car. She goes in the car and then the soft top comes up and it's got Freddie's stripes on it. And then the car darts off and Nancy's like screaming for help from her mother because it just moves by itself then freddy's gloved hand comes out of the small square glass window in the door and snatches a really fucking terrible dummy of marge right through this little square window and it is so fake and so bad it's unreal but yeah and then the movie the movie ends with that little iconic song from a bunch of kids playing with a jump rope one, two, Freddy's coming for you. I'm not going to sing the rest of it. You know it off by heart, I'm sure. But yeah, even with that ending scene, there was a lot of alternative takes. Like there was one, I think, with Freddy in the car with them. And yes, yeah, so I think they couldn't decide on the ending, but what they should have done is just, they should have just completely cut that sequence where it's, he takes March through the little square window like it's just so bad and so fake but yeah like with with this film with nightmare on elm street part one i feel personally like it's much scarier than any of the other films in the franchise me maybe new nightmare new nightmare has some pretty scary scenes but i just think there's something about it like when i first watched this as i say compared to part three there was just i can tell like the tone was just slightly different because later on down the line, Freddy becomes a bit of a parody of himself in some of the films. And as much as I enjoy most of the films in the franchise, this is the scariest you're going to get Freddy, I think. And, you know, even even the way that we barely really see him in the film. And I think that's something that, that works in the film's favour overall. You know, it, we, it leaves a lot to the imagination. It leaves a lot to us to you know, decipher about what's, like, the mystery of Freddy in the first film. Whereas he's just so prominent in everything after, like, especially even on the covers of, um, covers of the, the films, like the posters and what have you, he's just prominent, he's everywhere, and that's because of the boom that A Nightmare on Elm Street had as it, as it turned into a franchise. Which is quite sad, because even in the 90s, it wasn't that long after the boom of Freddy, like, there wasn't really... I missed out on that. And, yeah, okay, like, there was the odd Halloween, you know, when Halloween came around, there'd be, like, a, you know, an unlicensed glove just called, like, Knife Glove, instead of, like, you know, officially licensed by Nightmare on Elm Street, or man face or you know stupid stuff like that so you know there's still you know, there was still a bit of freddy to go around i guess but i wish i'd been around when you know it was big you know freddy's nightmares was a thing and um you know when he he was just he was just everywhere and uh, speaking of freddy's nightmares like 
<laughs> that show is so terrible. Uh, but I uh, used to watch a couple of them on the Horror Channel when they used to air it now and then because they, they did release one DVD and it was, called, it was just called Volume 1 and it had the first three episodes and they never released any more because they didn't make any money, which is quite sad. But... I mean, to be honest, it's not a great show anyway. I mean, it had a Freddy as the host, like sort of like a Crypt Keeper scenario, and then it would just be these random stories afterwards. And some of them did include Freddy, but most of all, it most mostly it was just about uh, the residents of Springwood having weird encounters. So, like I said in the teaser episode of Slash of Horror, when I was younger, I I wasn't scared of a Nightmare on Elm Street, and I wasn't scared by the majority of the films, but. I did have nightmares about Freddy Krueger quite often and it got to the point where my parents, as I say, they had to find a picture of Robert Englund and prove to me that Freddy Krueger wasn't real. And, I mean, then and there they should have just, like, put a stop to me ever watching any horror films until I was older. But, I I mean, to, to be fair, maybe with the first one... I, I maybe watched that a little bit too early. I, I should have probably watched it a bit later on in life. It was, I think it's quite a lot for a kid. So to blend in with this week's uh, topic on The Nightmare on Elm Street, I posted two questions on the Slashic Horror Instagram stories. And I asked, what was the worst nightmare you've ever had? And I'll start with one from Jake, who runs the So You Like Horror podcast, which will be releasing their first episode soon. So you can check out the teaser episode now, uh, where podcasts are available, and follow their Instagram for updates at so underscore you underscore like underscore horror. So Jake said, let me just find it. The worst nightmare for me was when I was 22 and I believe now I was having a panic attack. But my room got really hot and I could hear a loud heartbeat with someone saying, he's coming to get you. That dream happened a few more times during the next couple of years. At that time, I was a heavy drinker and maybe that was affecting me, but each time I woke up in a sweat and it all felt very real. And I just want to say thank you to Jake for sharing that because I know that's probably, you know, it's quite a personal thing and, you know, it it sounds quite terrifying. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're having a nightmare and it just feels so real and you you can't leave it. Um, I mean, that often, again, that when I talk about my feet getting stuck to the ground, that's what it kind of feels like sometimes. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, some nightmares can be quite heavy and that sounds that sounds really heavy so i want to thank jake for sharing that with us thank you so much so the next one we have is from jason and he said i was being chased and i entered this infinite room that i knew i'd never be able to leave that sounds fucking horrific like i've had dreams where i've been chased and and whatnot but i've also had dreams where i've been on like a long stretch of road and it just goes on and on and on and it just feels like there's no escape and Again, if like like any nightmare that you or dream that you're so you're just so deep into, it just feels so real, and it's always so horrible when you wake up and then you, if you you know there's that moment of relief where you just realize oh it was just a fucking dream. But thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jason. So the next one we got is from Stephen, and uh, Stephen runs Creek Talk podcast, which you can listen to on where podcasts are available too. And you can follow them at Creek Talk Podcast. So 
Stephen said, I always have nightmares that Jason Voorhees is chasing me and I'm trying to hide from him. Oh. Um, I mean, obviously, people who know me know Friday the 13th is my, my favourite franchise and Jason's my boy. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, I can understand. He's he's quite terrifying, to be fair. So, yeah, I would... Yeah, if I had a nightmare about Jason, which I don't think I ever have, actually, I, I'd probably be hiding, too. And I've played many, many hours of Friday the 13th, the game, to, you know, to realize the terror of this person coming after you no matter how often i play that game by the way i always end up getting killed when i'm a camp counselor and i just suck at playing jason so i don't know why i bothered playing it i haven't played it for a while actually but yeah thank you for sharing that with us steven so the second question this week was what was your favorite moment in the nightmare on elm street franchise and I'll start with Caitlin. Uh, hi, Caitlin. Uh, she said the hill rolling scene 100%. And I had to ask her what she meant because I couldn't remember this. And it's the scene in the beginning of Freddy's Dead where John jumps out the house and he's just rolling down the hill for what feels like an hour. Um, I recently watched uh, Behind the Monsters on Shudder and I watched Freddy's episode and someone on there even said, if you put a laughing track over that film... It would probably work. I mean, it's it is such a corny film, and do you know what? It's it's one that I if I'm if I'm doing like a uh, a binge watch of all the films, I will sometimes skip it because it is it is quite dumb. But yeah, it does have some really funny scenes in it. Uh, thank you, Caitlin. Um, so the next one we have is from Jason. My favorite moment in the uh, my favorite moment is the Home Alone sequence near the end of the film, exploding light bulbs. So yeah, in part one when Nancy does go all Home Alone and yeah, she sets up all the movie traps. So yeah, I also love that that scene where she's on the bridge with uh, Glenn and she just uh, he notices that she's just randomly reading this book about how to make these traps and she's just like, I'm into survival. Um, that's another reason I just love Nancy. She's just like, yeah, she's just so badass. Love it. Um, let's see, who have we got next? Uh, from Rich. So Rich said, Philip's death in number three. Oh, God, yeah. So brutal and winsworthy with fantastic effects. That scene, more than anything, and you are right, it's it's quite realistic with the effects. It makes me feel physically sick. It's just, dis- <laughs> I find it so disgusting. But, yeah, um, like with the veins coming, coming out of his feet... Ugh and the blood dripping on the floor. I can't even talk about it anymore. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rich. And then we have another one from Jake, so at So You Like Horror. From the first film, I love the realisation that Nancy could bring the dreams or items to reality. Yeah, absolutely. Like, with the hat, and obviously when she brings Freddy out, I think that's a cool touch. Like, the, the way that she, she realises that she can play him at his own game. Like, I just... And another another example why Nancy is such a great final girl, and to be honest, like over the years, I've read the odd article where people think that Nancy's dull or they think that she's really like a boring final girl. It's like, are you serious? Like she does all this amazing stuff, like in the in the film, and she's she's one of the strongest characters in 
most horror franchises, I think. But, I mean, this is why we, you know, we write articles about horror, we do podcasts about horror, and we give our own commentary. It's obviously down to opinion and, and what have you. But, yeah, with Nancy, I just think she's so cool, personally. Thanks again, Jake, for sharing that. And another one from Stephen. Uh, I always loved when Nancy fell into the white leather chair in Dream Warriors. I don't know why. Oh. No, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I think, again, with the effects in part three, like like with part one, they, they did go to a lot of effort, especially when you consider some of the effects in some of the films. Like, that was a pretty cool scene, uh, especially, especially when it goes into... Um, Patricia Arquette getting eaten by Dick Snake Freddy. <laughs> uh, so thank you, yeah. Thanks again for sharing that, Stephen. And that's the end of the questions for today. Well, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, guys. And um, if you have any questions you want me to answer about anything horror-specific, feel free to DM me on the Instagram page, at slash horror. And we're also on Twitter now as well, under the same handle. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Leroy Cross James. We'll be back next week, but thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Slashic Horror.